0: Good morning. What a great service we've had so far, have we not? I want to welcome all of you to this morning, and I want to welcome everybody who's watching online. And I want to make a special announcement just to say welcome to all of our guests. Maybe somebody invited you here today. Maybe they dragged you here today. But I want you to know I'm the one that's responsible for that, okay? But I want to welcome you, and I just want to say we're so glad you're here. You know what our prayer is? We just simply think that what God is doing in here is pretty cool and what we'd like you to do is to be a part of it, to pray about that. Immediately following the service, if you just go out to the the guest services, we've got some information. We have a gift for you and it's just our way of saying we would love for you to be a part of our family here at Central Community Church. The other thing i want to say real quickly this is not too late to get into life groups right corey not too late to get into life groups so make sure if you're not in one sign up you need to be in a life group so that you can do community together and then also i want to remind you that on the 23rd um, our youth groups are splitting up and we're starting a brand new middle school, and we've got a, a young lady who's excited and Morgan Hollick about this. Um, I heard last week they had 33 in there already, and, and they had new people already, so be praying about that also, okay? <clears throat> All right, today we're starting a brand new series, and it's in the book of Jonah, okay? And it's from running to revival. And here's the first request that I have of you today. Find your place in the story, Okay find your place in the story. It was 1947, and the place was Germany. There was a lady there by the name of Corrie Ten Boom. You've heard of her before. She was a German. She was, and her family, they were responsible that during the war, When the Nazis were trying to destroy the Jews, they were hiding these Jews in their home, and they got found out. Their entire family was sent to a concentration camp, and it was not good. Corey talks about that she and her sister, Betsy, were sent to the same concentration camp. And she described for people what it was that it was like to be in a concentration camp. She explained the feelings that they had that the very first time that they took all of her clothes and they made her stand naked in front of everyone. She talked about how humiliating that was. She talked about how they abused her and her sister and how mentally and physically they just they just really took them through all kinds of horrible, horrible things. The food, the place that they lived, it was absolutely horrible. And it pushed their faith to the very limits. But after the war, God had come to Corey and said, I'm sending you back to Germany. And what I want you to do is I want you to preach to the people there. And the message that I want you to preach is the the message of forgiveness. Now, I don't know if that were you, but if that were me, I would be saying, are you kidding me, Lord? Forgiveness? You saw what they did to me. She tells a story one night where she was in a church and she was telling about forgiveness and she was talking about the price that jesus paid on the cross she was explaining to them that jesus too was humiliated the bible tells us that he was on the cross naked and during all of this as all of the insults were heaped upon him he too began by saying father forgive them so they know not what they do So Corey was explaining to people that our power to forgive doesn't come from within us. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. His is the example of forgiveness. When it was over with, everyone was coming up to her and telling her, Fraulein, what a beautiful message that you gave today. And then all of a sudden, she felt his presence. She didn't even have to turn and look. And she heard a voice. She wasn't quite sure exactly who it was until she turned and looked at him and she recognized him. He was one of the guards in the concentration camp. She felt herself fill up with emotion. Her eyes began to fill with tears because she knew that this man was responsible for the death of her sister Betsy. As she turned to face him, the man spoke to her, Fraulein, ten boom, what an incredible message you gave of forgiveness. I need you to know that I, too, am a follower of Jesus now. I am a believer, and I have received His forgiveness, but Fraulein, I feel like I need to come to you, I need to ask, I need to receive your forgiveness. In Corey's mind, she was thinking forgiveness for everything that you did to me? And then the guard did something she didn't expect. He reached out his hand to take a hold of her as a symbol of fellowship. Corey said she was frozen in the moment and she could not move I will not take his hand. In our story today in Jonah chapter 1, these are the words that we read. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Now, what I want you to understand about this is we learn right away the name of the main character in our story. His name is Jonah and he is the son of Amittai. We're gonna talk about that in a little bit because there's some great importance to that. But you also need to know is that phrase, the word of the Lord came to Jonah is something that we need to understand. You see, it's a phrase that tells us that Jonah was a prophet. How do you know that, Pastor Bob? Thank you for asking. The Old Testament is filled with this phrase. It's the phrase that God used every time he gave a word to a man to be a prophet, to speak for him. So we know Joan is a prophet because the word of the Lord came to him. And remember, the mark of a prophet was the fact that a word of God had come to him. That's one reason how we know there's, that he's a prophet, but there's also another reason that we need to understand to know the story. Is found in 2 Kings. It says here in the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years, okay? So we know that Jeroboam is the king. In accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai. There it is. The prophet from gath Hepher. So we see there that in another place, Jonah is referred to as a prophet. But let's read on for a little bit here. It says, The Lord has seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering. There was no one to help them. And since the Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Jehosh. Now I want you to understand what's happening here. There's a group of people called the Assyrians... They're located to the east and to the north of Israel. And Israel hated them, and they hated Israel. They threatened the very being of God's people. And so what Israel did is Israel paid them bounty. They paid him ransom. They gave them goods just to keep the peace. There was a time that this nation was the most feared nation in all of the earth. And the reason they were feared, and I might add hated, is because in war they didn't just defeat their enemies, they annihilated them. They cut off their members. They cut off their heads and paraded them through the city streets. They would skin them alive and they would put their skin against the walls. They wanted the world to know, if you mess with the Assyrians, this is what's going to happen to you. They were vicious, they were brutal, but they were powerful. Now, the Bible tells us that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. You see, there was a short period of time when there was relative peace in the nation, and here's what happened. God sent a message to Jonah. Jonah, I want you to tell the people I have heard their prayers and I have seen their suffering. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to expand the territories of Israel and I'm going to restore the cities that have been taken by these evil nations. Now, I need you to understand. Do you understand what just happened there? everything God told Jonah came true. You know what that means? That means the people of Israel are thinking, when Jonah speaks, good things happen. We like it when Jonah talks to us because favor from the Lord comes upon us. Ladies and gentlemen, what you need to understand is Jonah is a national hero. Let's go to the next verse in Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Now, as soon as the people would have heard this, they would have either thrown dirt in the air or threatened to tear their clothes. And the reason is, is because no one, no prophet of God would be sent to a Gentile nation to preach against it. But the Bible tells us why God is sending Jonah, and it says, because its wickedness has come up before me. All right, now, let's just be honest. Well, what's the big deal about that, Pastor Bob? I have no clue where you're going. Let's go back and find out a little bit in the book of Genesis when the different nations were established what God is talking about here. Take a look at this in Genesis. Cush, the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter under the Lord. Okay? This is all from the line of, of Noah. The first centers on his kingdoms were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, and Kelne in Shinar. From that land he went to Assyria where he built Nineveh. you get it? This was the hated nation. This was the nation that was so brutal. So I want you to picture this, my dear friends. You have Corey ten Boom and there's a guard, a guard who was in the prison camp and he's extended the hand of fellowship to her and she can't move. And now we have Jonah This national hero, and God has told him, I want you to go and preach in Nineveh. It's in Assyria. These are the people that have annihilated God's people and were brutal to people all around the world. And God's telling Jonah that he wants him to go. And Jonah's thinking the same thing, I can not. Was he afraid for his life that I was going to preach the word and they're going to kill me? Or was it because he hated these people so desperately that he did not want them to come to understand who the God of Israel was? I want to remind you one more time. Make sure you find your place in this story. Stand with me out of respect for God's Word. I'm going to read from Psalm 139, and I'm going to read verses 7 through 12. Where can I go from your Spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea... Even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. This is God's Word for God's people let's pray together. Father, remind me once again today, I cannot run from You. And why would I? Remind me again, You don't call the qualified, You qualify the called. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want you to look at this verse. It says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. I want everybody to look. What's the very first word that you see on that page? What's the very first word? Say it. But is never a good word to start with when the Lord has given you a command. Would you agree? I mean, I can remember, Lori would say to me, sweetheart, man of my dreams, we won't go any farther, call the kids for dinner. Dan, Nicole, time to eat, but dad! And that's exactly what's happening here. God has given Jonah a command but Jonah, the Bible tells us, turns and runs in the opposite direction. Can we just stop here for a moment and be really honest with each other? What are you running from? Who are you running from? What is it that God has asked you to do and you're going in the opposite direction. Is it a relationship? Is it a boss? Is there someplace God wants you to go? And you know it's too hard. And so you are running in the opposite direction. Have you ever in your life, have you ever done something that you knew was wrong, but you did it anyway? I have. Let's go on with this same verse, but I want to show it to you in the ESV, because the ESV is more word-centered rather than idea or phrase-centered, okay? Look what it says here. Starts out again with but. But what I want you to look for is this. In the Bible, they didn't have highlighters in those days. And so when they wanted to bring something out and show you that it's important, you know what they would do? They would repeat it more than once. So anything in this verse that you see repeated more than once, you know that the author is trying to tell you something. It says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So the very first word that you see mentioned twice is the word down. And what I need you to understand is this, is that when that verse says he went down to Tartarus and he went down to the ship, what that phrase means is it's the same thing as going down to Sheol. In other words, he's talking about death and he's talking about separation from God. Wouldn't you agree if you're running from God, you're running to Sheol, right? You're running away from him. And it's not gonna be a physical death, it's gonna be a spiritual death. So God is telling us, Jonah's journey is going down. He's headed down, away from God. God is up and Jonah's going down. The same may be true in your life. You know God is up, where are you going? The other thing I think is really interesting here is that we see the town Tarshish mentioned three different times. So I wanna show you something so that you understand what's taking place here. Now you remember here that God told Jonah, who's in Israel, he told him that he was to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is about 500 miles to the east and to the north. This is in Assyria. But you also look and you see that Tarshish is way over here. In fact, it is the farthest west coast civilian anywhere in all of the Mediterranean Sea. In other words, you can't go any farther than this because there will be no more civilization after this. To go from Joppa to Tarshish is a 2,500 mile trip. So here's the predicament that we find Jonah in. He can either go 500 miles into the will of God, or he can go 2,500 miles out of the will of God. Now think about this. Just listen to this. The trip from Joppa to Tarshish would take anywhere from a year to a year and a half. Man, that boy wants to get away from God, doesn't he? But there's one also thing, other thing that is said in this verse that I think is amazing. It says, when he got to Joppa, remember what it talked about? It said, he paid the fare. If you're going to run away from God, you're going to pay a price. But I also want to tell you this, if you run to God, He'll be the one that pays the price. Let's go back to the story of Moses. Remember the Pharaoh said that he was going to destroy all of the baby boys. And Moses' mom, remember what her name was? It was Jochebed. And Moses, and she, she took Moses and she put him in a basket, and she put him out in the Nile. Do you remember what happened? One of Pharaoh's daughters found him, and what did she do? She gave him. And what they did is they said, "Find a Hebrew woman." You know who they found, don't they? Don't you? They found Jochebed. Moses' mom. What a coincidence! That's our God. So now, here's Moses' mom, Jochebed, who gives her son, has to pay a price by giving her son up. Now, Pharaoh gives him back to her, and the Bible tells us, you can check it, he paid her to take care of Moses. Isn't our God awesome? Now, watch this. I will set a sign among them, and I will send some of those who survived to the nations to Tarshish, to the Libyans and the Lydians, famous as archers, to Tubal and Grace, and to the distant islands that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. They will proclaim my glory among the nations. Here's what I want you to understand. To run away from the presence of God was to run away from his calling. And the same is true for you and I. When God has given us something to do, a place to go, and we choose to run away from it, we are running away from the call of God on our lives. I want you to hear this loud and clear, okay? It's pretty obvious that Jonah's fed up with God, isn't it? We're not exactly sure why, and we'll find out later, but he wants to have nothing to do with God. Now, listen to me very carefully. All of Jonah's actions prove to us The Jonah has given up on God. How about you? You feel like have you given up on God? Are you hurting so bad? Are you so angry? Have you lost a loved one and the pain's not going away? Are you going through all of these things and you just feel like you have given up on God because God's not answering things the way you want Him to answer your prayers? But here's what I also want you to remember. Jonah's given up on God, but listen carefully. God has not given up on Jonah. And that's what I want you to hear today. You may be angry with God. You may have given up on God, but I want to tell you something. God has not given up on you. That's how special you are to him. He's going to give you a little rope to run with, but I promise you, God has not given up on you. All right, now let's watch what happens here. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. It's amazing to me how the Word of God follows Jonah everywhere he goes. And now we have these sailors, well-experienced sailors on a ship. They've done this all of their life, and now the Bible tells they are afraid for their life. You know why? Because they believe they have offended their gods. And so here we have this ship. It's full of fear. It's full of panic. But it's full of prayer. You see... These sailors are crying out for God, divine intervention. Where's Jonah? Jonah is down in the very bottoms of the ship. He's trying to lose God, but we have a captain and all of his mates, all of his sailors who are desperately trying to find God. Now watch. Then the sailors said to each other, "'Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity.'" They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all of this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? All right, now, what I want you to understand here is that it's kind of funny, I think, is that we have all of these saviors, they're in the middle of a storm, and what do they do? Somebody says, hey, let's cast lots. Now, that was very common in those days even among the believers. Do you remember how was it that Judas's replacement was found? Remember, it was by casting lots, right? The people believed that God would determine where the lots were cast. You need to know that that's how we choose our counsel. We cast lots. In other words, what we do is we take their name, we put their name in the middle of a, of a, of a, of a, of a cup or whatever, a bowl, And we read Acts 1. And then as Acts 1, just like that, we pray over that and we say, Lord, you know who you're going to choose. You've already determined. And then we go about our work. And you know what? That's how we come up with the council members that are new on the staff. We have no control over it. Only God does. We're following His order, His rule from Scripture. So here are these men, and they cast lots... It's kind of like you have a spinner. Spin the bottle. Whoever the bottle stops on, guess what? You're the one who's trouble. And so they cast the lots, and the lots come on Jonah. And then do you remember how they look at all of the questions that they ask him? Why all the questions? And the answer is real simple. They're trying to find out about Jonah's God. Isn't it amazing how God works? All right, now. Jonah speaks for the very first time, and look at what he says. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it, became cal- it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. <laughs> what an answer. Who are you? I am a Hebrew. Now, that phrase is really important because that's how God's chosen people identify themselves to foreigners. Because everybody would know, oh, Hebrew. Okay, so you worship the God who you say created everything. But he didn't just stop there. He says, I am a Hebrew. I serve the God who created this storm, basically, is what he tells them. And they are shocked. And so they bombard him with questions. But one of the questions, I'm not sure if you saw it, has great significance. And the question was this, what have you done? I want you to just think about that for a moment, ladies and gentlemen. Where have you heard that before? Where in the Bible have you heard that phrase, what have you done? Well, let me help you. Nope, I'm not going to because I didn't put it in there. It's in Genesis chapter 3. Check it out. If you go to Genesis chapter 3, after sin has entered into the world, God goes into the garden. Remember what He does? He comes in and he goes, oh, Adam, where are you? And Adam says, I was hiding. Oh, really? You were hiding? Yeah. Why were you hiding? Well, I was naked. Who told you you were naked? And then God goes to Eve, and what God said to Eve is this, what have you done? And that's exactly the same thing of what these sailors are saying to Jonah. What have you done? What's amazing here is the sailors, the pagans, are rebuking the pastor. And they want to know, what is it that you've done? So then they ask, so what are we supposed to do? And Jonah says, well, throw me overboard. But that tells you how dark a place Jonah's in, doesn't it? Have you ever been there before? I mean, Jonah's thinking is this. You know what? I'm so far away from God right now. God doesn't care about me. I really don't care about him. So you know what? Throw me overboard because I could care less. I don't care even if I die. Jonah is so disappointed. He is so upset with God that he would rather die than even be obedient to God. So what do they do? They throw him overboard. Now let's bring it to an end here. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. These are good men. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you have pleased. And what do they do? They throw him overboard. You know what's interesting about this whole story? The very thing that Jonah did not want to be to the Assyrians, he did not want to be an instrument, is the very thing that he has become on the ship. How do you know that, Pastor Bob? Because the men turned their hearts to God in prayer. Look at what they said. They prayed that they might not die. They prayed that they would not be guilty of shedding innocent blood. They acknowledged all happened at the will of God, and God could do as He pleased. Do you understand what's happening here is that now Jonah, thrown into the water... He is sinking deeper, deeper into this dark abyss. He knows this is the end. And as far as he's concerned, so be it. But on the ship, something else is going on. The sea is calm. And there is peace everywhere except one place on the ship. Because there's a revival going on there. Do you realize what happened? These men, the Bible tells us, were worshiping God. They were making sacrifices to Him, and they were making promises and allegiance to the God who they knew was the one true God. And where is Jonah? He is in the water. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows to him. This is where we come to the end of our story today. Jonah's sinking in this vast dark abyss and there's a revival going on. I want you to understand the theme of this book and the theme of this book is very simple. It's how God's people refused to take the Word of God to the nations of the world. It's God's people refusing to take the Word of God to the nations of the world. I want to show you a few things that I believe that we can learn from this story. And the first one is this. Everything begins and ends with God's Word. My dear friends in Christ, When God has given you a word, what matters most to God is what you do next. Here's the second thing we learn. God is sovereign. Isn't it amazing how He orchestrated everything in this story to accomplish what He wants to accomplish? Here's the third thing we learn. There is no such thing as private sin. Because of Jonah's sin, it cost the sailors everything they had. And it almost cost them their life. Here's the fourth thing. God's wrath is real. God's anger is real. Yes, God is a merciful God, but He is a holy God. And justice is one of the pillars of His throne. And finally this. God's mercy never fails. I don't care how far you think you've fallen. I don't care how far you think you are away from God. You are never so far that God's grace, the arm of God's grace can't rescue you. Did you know that one out of four people in this room are not sure of where they're going to spend eternity? That's what the statistics tell us. And you know what? That just breaks my heart. I want you to know for sure that when that time comes, and you know what? Death is 100% for all of us, right? So when it comes, don't you want to know where you know for a fact that you're going to spend eternity? Right afterwards, at the starting point, we've got a group of people who are willing to pray with you and help you figure out the answer to that question. Because the God that we serve is a God that is so filled with grace and mercy, and they are new each and every morning. He loves you so much that the hound of heaven will never stop coming after you until that moment when you draw your last breath, and then it's done. So while you're alive, while you are breathing the incredible freshness and gift of God's breath, choose to follow Him and His ways. Amen? Amen. Today's Dollar Club Day, and I'm going to ask our, our ushers to come forward right now. In just a minute, we're going to watch a video, but I want to kind of tell you a little bit about what's going on in Wichita. I was talking to the people in our ministry department, and the calls that we are getting for people who don't have a place to live or food is just skyrocketing. And so there are a number of shelters for homeless people in Wichita. The problem is is that the majority of them are filled. There is one shelter that we have invested in. It's called Humankind. Humankind. And it's not just a place for women or for men, but it's for families and also families with pets, which is really important in today's world. You know what? They need help. They can't take care of everybody that's coming in. And so they've asked us, will you partner with us? Will you help us provide a place for these people to live? I want to remind you of these words. Remember what Jesus said? He said, when I was in prison, you came to visit me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When we do these things like this to our community, this is what makes us look most like Jesus. Watch this video.
1: Humankind Ministries is committed to tackling our community's greatest inequities. We serve thousands experiencing homelessness and poverty each year. From homelessness to home and beyond, We meet clients where they are. We serve hundreds of unsheltered Wichitans through street outreach, bringing them basic needs and someone to turn to to access shelter. We operate the only no-barrier emergency shelter in the region, providing shelter, clean clothes, access to healthcare professionals, hot meals, and more to more than 100 men and women each night. And the inn. The only shelter for men, women, families, and their pets where basic needs meet hope for a better tomorrow. We walk alongside our clients and wrap services around them. Personalized case management equips them with the power to find stability and build brighter futures for themselves and their loved ones. Our goal for our clients is permanent, secure housing. Each year, hundreds find stability in our 155 affordable, supportive housing units. And thousands receive winter essentials through Operation Holiday, the region's largest holiday assistance program. With support from Wichitans like you, our shared ability to lift up the human spirit is remarkable. We are helping restore dignity and hope to thousands each year.
0: All right. would you please stand? And I want to uh, give you the blessing before you leave. So last week, I challenged you with the responsibility to invite someone to church. It was interesting because the very next day at church, I had a lady who came up and said, Pastor Bob, I want you to know that I invited someone to church next Sunday, and here she is, and she may be here this morning. So welcome remember what it's about. It's about not just hearing the Word of God, but putting it into action. That's what God wants to see in us. This week, I was with a young lady who's on her way to K-State right now, and what she did this summer is she just traveled along the beach, and all she did was start conversations with people and ask them, do you know who Jesus is? What she did is she started by just showing them a diagram, and she said, Have you seen this before? And it was a picture of two two mountains with a huge valley in between them. I want you to listen to this. Only one person, only one person every day, never more than that, said no, they wanted to have nothing to do with it. And they talked to at least 20 people every day. She saw people come to know Jesus and come to go to church simply because she took the time to engage. And so here's your challenge for this week. We're going to learn through the Gideon's process of how it is that we are to go out and evangelize. And the word that they use to help us is the word leap. The first word or first letter is the word L. L stands for listen. Okay? So here's the thing that I want you to do. I want you to come up with this week a question. Some type of question or maybe a diagram that you could show somebody or ask somebody and then just listen. Maybe that question would be is, do you know who Jesus is? Maybe that question would be is, do you have a home church? Maybe that question would be after you've watched them live their life, tell me how you're hurting, and then just be quiet and listen. We're going to learn more about this in the weeks to come. Receive the blessing of our God. The Lord bless you and keep you The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace, His strength, and His joy. God bless you. Have a great week. Invite somebody. We'll see you next week.